0: The world as we know it continues to evolve and change into something that we can only hope to understand. This is why the registry continues to provide industry insights through personal interviews with the leaders who are shaping real estate on a daily basis. By subscribing to our podcast, you are helping us in our work, and we will continue to deliver programming such as the one you're about to hear. Please click the subscribe button and let your friends and colleagues know about us. It will help you and the industry stay ahead of the game. Today we sit down with Peter Conti, the Senior Vice President of Laboratory and Life Science Division of TransWestern in San Francisco. Peter is a member of a TransWestern team that assists clients in every stage of the real estate process, including real estate leasing or disposing of facility leases, providing strategic long-term planning via portfolio analysis, site selection, and employee location consulting. Peter is the Bay Area Head of TransWestern's Biotech Advisory Group, leading the company's efforts in life science and biotech office and laboratory disposition, having years of professional lab experiences with the USDA and public-private cancer research departments before working in brokerage. Welcome to the pod, Peter. Peter, good morning. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, Where do we find you today? Are you... Working from the home, working from the office, both?
1: Today, I'm specifically working from home. My wife is in the home office, and I am in the living room, sitting okay. at our dining room table. Okay.
0: Yeah, it seems like we kind of get relegated to certain spaces based where the spouse is, right? Or based where the other activity happens to be, right? Like, so, exactly. Yeah. And, and
1: you're, everyone's always looking for their little nook where, like, where can I get the most done? Where's the quietest where I can focus?
0: Right. Where does the Wi-Fi not drop, right? That kind right. of thing. Even more
1: important, Exactly. <laughs>
0: Great, great. Um, well, Peter, tell us a little bit about you know your background, your um, sort of lifespan in the industry, if you will, and kind of how, how you got to life science at Transwestern.
1: Uh, well, it's depending on on the the timeline you want to look at. It's been kind of a long and unusual journey, that's for sure. Uh, I started my undergrad education at UC Berkeley. I was in the life science department there um, and did my degree in genetics. Uh, I then went on to UC Davis uh, from postgrad work, working at a cancer research laboratory called Lexrite Laboratories. Okay. Uh, it was run by a couple of professors out of UC Davis, really, really smart people, trying some novel cancer treatments and some research in that department. Uh, I, uh, I ended up not finishing a degree or anything from Davis, but um, the education and the hours in the lab and the um, experience was unbelievably not just fulfilling, but obviously educational, um, and took that into the Commercial real estate world uh, thereafter um, it's it, again it 's a long and winding story about why that lab got defunded and we didn't we couldn 't stay on but the point only is is that from that point from an education and background, uh, I was a scientist first and foremost, and then found myself in the real estate world fast forward quite a number of years. Uh, I moved on from some of the more major publicly traded commercial real estate firms okay. and found myself at transwestern uh, becoming kind of the founding member of the West Coast arm of our life science department. We, at the time, had one of the most prominent and prestigious life science departments out of the Boston area, um, and some really fantastic brokers in that area doing just a ton of work, really involved. I was recruited in part to join that team as the West Coast, you know, kind of part of that group. And from there, we've built the team up with a number of brokers, a research department, uh, analytics, uh, move coordination, property management, construction management. So now we have, if you will, a kind of a separate division within Transwestern that has all of those food groups available specifically for the biotech and life science groups here in the Bay Area.
0: So Peter is is your group then kind of um, in charge of what's happening in in both in Southern California and the Bay Area and also Seattle when you when you when you said West Coast is it is it all of West Coast?
1: Well, admittedly, we're headquartered in San Francisco proper. Um, and while we'd like to probably try to peg our geographic reach as more Bay Area centric. There there are occasions where we're certainly involved with San Diego or Seattle and some of those places, but our main focus, admittedly, is Northern California, Yep. Um, yep. especially with some of the companies we work with. They obviously have uh, installations and facilities across the United States. So, you know, one day we may find ourselves in a conversation in Phoenix or Houston or Bethesda, for instance. But yeah, our, our main practice and focus has been just the Bay Area.
0: Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. And, and I only also ask that because the West Coast has kind of sort of provided a little bit of a, maybe not a little bit of a, but, 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 but a true sort of balance, I think, to what's happening. I think in Cambridge, right, in Massachusetts, uh, when you look at sort of these three markets in the West Coast, they're, you know, leading some of the um, initiatives, right, and in terms of um, investment uh, and also on the real estate side, right, you know, building and, you know, real estate in that, in that area, right?
1: Absolutely. It's the, the one constant you kind of see through where these hotspots are in life science. They tend to be in the intellectual centers. Um, and I mean that just from, a, from an educational um, uh, and post-educational levels where major universities that have major departments focused on life science. Those are where the, the talent is, you know, in terms of the young talent, the, you know, the young workforce that's joining up with these companies. And, you know, Boston, Cambridge, Um, northern california san diego these are these have become not just hot spots from you know legacy reasons although that is obviously part of it um there's also just an incredible push amongst the universities that are there to kind of continue that not just the education but also therefore the workforce that these companies are looking for so it only makes sense that there's kind of a um, steamrolling effect that goes on with it
0: where is the life science sector then in the in the bay area today and um, you and i talked about this a little bit you know prior to to this recording but we were you know, as as I've looked at the industry over the last you know thirteen, fourteen years, um, life science has kind of in the in in the Bay Area you know been m- considered for the for the most part as sort of the, the the other tech sector, and and I don't and I don't think that um, was necessarily a, a, a fair kind of assessment or a, or a fair name to it, but um, I think just given sort of what you know the Facebooks and the Googles and you know the apples and so forth. We're doing around the region. Uh, they seem to kind of steal a lot of the thunder and real estate from from uh, the life science sector. But but you know, I feel like the life science sector has now really met its met its sort of met its historical significance, if if you will. So, give us a little bit of an overview of kind of how how you perceive the market where and where it is today.
1: That's actually a great question. Um, the short answer is, arguably, we're, it's stronger than it's ever been in history. Um, and I know that sounds like hyperbole, and that would make some sense, but the nice thing is there's some pretty deep statistics to back that up. Uh, the first of which I, I've pointed to a couple of different times with a couple different groups, certainly, is that there were more companies funded in the life science field in the first half of this year than in any other year in recorded history. Yeah. Um, and in Q3 of this year, that was the biggest quarter ever for fundings, period. So not only was the first half of this year, and and remember, a bunch of that was during COVID. Certainly, so was all of Q3. There's more money, more companies coming out of right now in history than there ever has been. So, from a lot of indications, at least at the very inception level, the very grassroots level, um, the life science field, as a general rule, is is incredibly strong. And I think part of that is it's become an alternative avenue to your. I'm trying to think of how to frame it, but. Let's just call it your retail technologies, your Google's, your Facebook's, your Netflix, sure. your Apple's, um, and having a biological component to what you're doing, whether it's you know something simple as uh, data, health, storage, and uh, management, whether it's medical devices, whether it's food technology, whether it's genomics, which is obviously proven to be um, a huge, insurging sector, yeah, to, yeah. to all going all the way back to your old school pharma and um, small molecule therapy and. Um, you know kind of other things that fall into that much more traditional division. You know, the life science umbrella is actually I think a lot bigger than people realize and it's getting bigger by the day. Yep. And yep. it's not necessarily a pejorative to say that it was the other tech sector up until recently. I think one of the things that we've seen emerge and especially with COVID kind of as one of the underlying interesting components of this is that life science truly is its own sector. It's different than medical office and kind of medical. It's different than office, it's different than industrial, it's different than tech. Um, It has obviously elements of all those things, but it really truly is its own thriving and surging silo in and of itself
0: yeah that is that is that is for sure. And technology has become really a big component of it as well. and you as a as a former scientist who understand that probably better than most people, um, does that mean that whoever has a technological advantage will also have a life science advantage in the future too? and what does that pretend for you know u s life science industry versus let's say I don't know Switzerland, China, or elsewhere?
1: You know, there's so many different factors that go into what makes success, uh, and then obviously, therefore, what makes failure as well. It would be hard to to put your finger on one specific thing, um, because rarely is anything in life one thing uh, as a cause and effect. But uh, one of the reasons that life science has been even more successful certainly is the technological jumps. We're watching companies, and I'm thinking of pharmaceutical companies specifically, but that used to need compound libraries with tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of samples that are being tested against reagents and different novel chemicals constantly to try to create new and novel IP that can treat either disease or conditions or whatever it might be. We're watching some of that process actually get uh, pushed to cloud compute servers where you can model physics and molecular interactions so well now um, from an electrical uh, and computational platform perspective that were actually, you know, which wasn't available, by the way, just not that many years ago. Yeah, but yeah. We've, we've come so much further that you can start to offload some of that work. And now you're not just test- testing just the 20,000, 50,000, 100,000 samples that you might have. You can test an infinite number of samples across any number of different uh, parallels. And so we're seeing the emergence of a lot more, um, not just from an IP perspective, uh, companies in the pharma world getting into that or at least having that be part of their program. But it's, it's opening up a lot of doors and a lot of ideas in terms of what pharmaceuticals can be that people hadn't really been able to think about previously. And then you go back, and if you'll permit me one more moment here, um, all the things that made kind of your retail tech company successful, again, as we talked about having kind of intellectual hubs yeah. in different areas, you, you combine that with the momentum of the area that's already there, you combine that with... You know the the venture capital and private equity groups that are also endemic to those areas a lot of the same things that made tech companies successful along the way th- through now are also the same ingredients that would make a burgeoning life science company uh, successful going forward as well um, and, le- and that's part of the reason we're seeing it's not just that technology has gotten better it's all the things in the underpinnings that made technology successful is also still here and also actually relevant to what's happening in this industry
0: yeah. Yeah, no, that's that is obvious. So, um one of the reasons that we're chatting also today, Peter, is your company came out with a third quarter kind of report for for this industry, right? Um, and I thought it'd be great for us to kind of go over that and chat a little bit about, you know, what is it that you're seeing in, in the industry and, you know, provide some insight into, you know, what what you guys are seeing there that's that's out there. Um so let's yeah, you sure. know Let's kick it off. You know, tell us some of the some of the highlights. You know, across across the region, that you would uh, that you would like to highlight.
1: Well, I, I, I've mentioned a, a couple of them, kind of in conversation already. Um, one of which is, and again, this is you know been the banner headline for the last number of quarters. We've seen more funding and more companies come out this year in the life science field in the Bay Area, well, in in the country really, than has ever happened in history in this country. Yeah, that alone is interesting from an obvious perspective if you are an investor right now today staring down an economy that's in an interesting position a new presidency with a changed makeup of the legislature federally and then certainly new rules and regulations that are happening on the state level as well as we just had an election um what are some of the things you can count on going forward what are some of the places you want to invest your money going forward you know retail is going to have a hard time recovering most likely um Office is still trying to figure out what is work from home, yeah. how, what's yeah. the distance between people that's safe, uh, when, does that, when does that come back, when can we actually go back into the office. Life science is one of those kind of silos that bucks all those different trends and for a couple of different reasons, the, the most obvious of which is you can't really do scientific work, lab bench, wet bench work from home, from your garage. You can't can't do it on a remote location in quite the same way. So you need those facilities going forward. But the other of which is, and I think this is more fundamental, retail tech did a really, really good job of streamlining a lot of our lives, making things simpler, easier, making communications better, uh, and making the, the average person more savvy and have better access to the democratization of information in general. That's been a really long process. It's it's still going, obviously, but the, some of the some of the big swaths of that industry have been addressed, and they've been addressed really well by you know multiple different companies. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, in, in, a, in a weird way of saying it, some of that low hanging fruit in terms of problems that needed to be solved have now been solved, and that's really really cool. It's one of the reasons why we live in such a impressive time in history, and in just time and space in general. But the biological front, the healthcare front, the you know it's kind of the medical front. If again, if you're depending on how you know, you're talking about a pharmaceutical company or a medical device company or a genomics company or some of these other things, those are still incredibly big problems that are hanging out there. They need to be addressed and are truly the next frontier of what therapies and what technology is going to need to be addressing in order for us to progress forward and for in order for society to kind of better itself. So these are the problems that people are looking at trying to figure out. These are the markets that are going to be addressed over the next many, many years. So that's a safe place to put your investments now, or certainly a lot safer than a lot of other sectors in the industry. Yeah. Uh, and we're seeing that not just from a localized level, but again, the greater economy in general has now picked up and paid attention.
0: Yeah. And I'll nice. just
1: say anecdotally, um, the number of phone calls I get a week, the number of emails that I'm having discussions with, not just landlords who are asking about you know, what does it take to perhaps uh, attract a life science tenant to my building – but tenants saying, what if we were to get another grant and wanted to split into three different groups with three different kind of directions uh, or, you know, just an investment group from if it's New York based uh, investment or even here in California, how do we get into the sector? We've never been in life science, but what we understand is that it's hot, it's happening and it's going to be the future. Um, and then therefore trying to translate those conversations into real life, actionable um, information for those people. Um so it's got you've got momentum and interest, but that's not a bad combination and it's definitely gonna start fueling things or not just start, but continue to fuel yeah. things for the future.
0: Yeah, yeah. In 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 terms of the life science sort of I don't know if you wanna call them subsectors or however they call those, are, are there certain parts of the life science industry, you know, how how would you break break them up? And you know, I would imagine it would be, you know, research, drugs, you know, um, you know analytics like how 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 does that break up and maybe give us a little bit of a sense of sort of which which areas are you know growing and how they 're growing compared to to their others
1: you know I, this is the most broker answer I always give it depends um, <laughs> okay. there 's not the bright line difference between a bunch yeah. of these companies in quite the way there might be in a I'm trying to think uh, what some of the retail equivalents, would, retail tech equivalents would be. Um, and because, and,
0: and I only asked that because I'm, you know, you know, because I'm also curious: is there a difference in the physical space of it? Right, you know, well, this is a this is you know, life science, you know, property designed for this type of work versus that type of work. I just, you know, wanted to understand from a, from a real estate point of view: is there a distinction for a you know landlord or for a developer in terms of what kind of work can be done there, or is it fairly? you know, generic lab space and then the user ends up determining kind of what, what ends up being done in there? Uh,
1: well, the short answer is no, There there is differentiated space. So not everybody can generically use the same space. But what's nice is, uh, you know, to, to almost counter my own point, we're watching landlords recognize that, you know, a, a chemistry lab is different than a biology lab, um, whether it's the, the, the hourly rating in the walls, whether it's the way that air is vented through the space and evacuated, whether it's the waste stream, contamination, um, containment, and how it's therefore processed, whether it's you know you have a vivarium or you have a clean room uh, and what the differences that go into those different facilities, they're wildly expensive to build out. So you don't want to just blanket build everything to one standard and right. hope it works. Right, right. You, kinda need, <laughs> you, <laughs> you kind of do of, need to
0: have a you generic You have to baseline. pick a path essentially is what you're saying, right?
1: Yes, correct. Yeah. But the good news is, is I think a lot of landlords, especially those who – have specialized in life science and understand that field have recognized that there are some fundamental building blocks that actually do translate across the space and are building their facilities with a really high quality base level and then allowing almost modularly to plug in, you know, your last, your last mile, so to speak of tenant improvements, uh, to customize for whatever that tenants needs are. Um, an example that would simply be, you know, not every pharma company or medical device company needs clean room space. Yep. It's incredibly expensive to build. It's incredibly specialized when you do build it. But what they can do is provide you the single pass air capabilities in the anti-static flooring or vibrational isolation or at least simply the positive pressure enclosure that you can add that to should you need that in your space. And yep. then all of the other support systems in the building infrastructure are there and you can tap into them. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's what's been nice, and that's part of what we've actually kind of been coaching some of these landlords to do, which is, look, it's going to be an, a slightly more expensive build now, but the reusability of all those facilities, when your current lease runs out, if that's three years, five years, ten years from now, Will be so much higher if you spend the extra couple of dollars
0: to do that. Understood, understood. Um, in terms of uh, the 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 size of the space, what are we what are we talking about across across the Bay Area? How how many millions of square feet are are there in in the life science sector, and how does that compare to the you know rest of the rest of the industry?
1: Well, it, life science is still certainly you know kind of on the smaller end of overall sure. square footage yeah, in yeah. the and Bay that's, Area. That's
0: understood, yeah.
1: Yeah, but it, it's it's very quickly growing, um, you know, uh, I'd say day over day almost. Um, we, we, we kind of track somewhere on the order of about 35 million square feet in the Bay Area. Okay. Now, admittedly, we don't tend to track things like owner-occupied buildings and spaces. So a great example is Genentech in South San Francisco. Yeah. They have multiple millions of square feet on their campus. We don't tend to track those square feet. Genentech's going to use them however they want to use them. They own them in you know more or less in perpetuity um they can do their own projects they're not going to come up for lease generally on the open market so it's not really space we're going to track um you know you go you go industry by industry or you go uh, at least i should say sub industry by sub industry you go headquarters by headquarters there's a lot of companies in the bay area that have big headquarter buildings that they own and operate so those don't really count towards you know the the tracking that we do that makes sense but what i'll yeah. just say is yeah, if, if you if you say it's up around 35 million square feet in the Bay Area that's that's moving and shaking it, within this industry, we're also adding square footage kind of on a quarter-over-quarter quarter basis. Um, some of the most interesting development currently is down on Industrial Road in San Carlos. Um, you've got a couple million square yep. feet and a couple yep. of the biggest life science developers in the entire Bay Area focusing a lot of attention on that area, bringing buildings out of the ground there. Um, and it's, it's exciting because it's some of the first major, major development we've seen over the last number of quarters. That's Kilroy right. did yeah. a good job with that's its right. phase yeah. one in South San Francisco um, and got it nice and leased up. But there's – I mean, again, that, that's not delivered product. That's still under construction. Yep. They made a lot of headlines in the last couple of quarters by having them all pre-leased. But they're still potentially a couple of years away from even being able to deliver it. So yeah, um, it, it's good to see this – it's the overall square footage in the overall market growing you know, yeah. on a one-over.
0: And also, and also, as background, so the biggest chunks of that thirty-five plus million square feet are South San Francisco, uh, Mission Bay in San Francisco, right? Um, partially Correct. in East Bay. Where Where are some of the other clusters that are that are popping up? You mentioned uh, the clustering in San Carlos. I know there's some stuff in Foster City, also, right? What What, what else? What else is coming up there?
1: You know, we've we've seen some conversion of some buildings, certainly in the Newark Fremont area. Uh, which has been nice. You've got Pacific Research Commons that yep. is there already. Yep. Um, that was a, uh, that's a whole – that was the originally it was the Sun Microsystems Campus. A bunch of that space has been converted into life science and laboratory spaces. Uh, I think they're more or less completely full. But what's been interesting is to watch kind of the spinoffs and other developments within uh, – if it's the Ardwin area or uh, the South Fremont area, even spanning all the way into the Northern Crescent of um, San Jose – that's been a really particular, particularly uh, interesting hotspot of activity and kind of movement. In for one, because you actually have buildings that can be redeveloped and converted into life science capable. But also, the cost uh, structure of those buildings, the acquisition's a little bit less expensive, the conversion's a little bit less expensive than some of the more prominent markets like South San Francisco or Berkeley, Emeryville corridor. Sure. So we're seeing companies at least do that kind of mental math of what is it worth on a per square foot basis? Or if you want to translate in, that into a monthly rent or a yearly rent basis, that's worth it for me to locate there versus some of these other parts of the Bay Area that are obviously a little more established, but are going to cost significantly more in terms of dollars just in general.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. This is an industry that likes to cluster also. Are there certain companies that would prefer to be you know, in certain clusters or uh, you know, how, how does that work? And then where are we in terms of the um, occupancy of this, of this space?
1: There's certainly a clustering effect. Uh, it makes perfect sense there would be in a lot of ways. Uh, and the, the, the easiest analogy I can give is that if you're a – and just pick one of the subsectors we've talked about. And you need a delivery every day of a very particular gas or a very particular cell line or a very particular bacterium or a very particular some sort of equipment process. It's unlikely that whoever that supplier is or whoever that uh, partnership is with whoever that uh, vendor is, is going to have the capability to be all over the Bay Area or all over Northern California all day, every day. Sure. But what you can do is recognize that there are certain subclusters. And if you're a genomics company or if you're a food technology company, you know, creating a, a meat product out of vegan or vegetable sources, there's probably some similarities and some similar things you're going to need from a vendor basis on a day-over-day basis. And so it makes sense to be at least located somewhat near some of those other companies. So therefore, you're part of the loop, you're part of the ecosystem that's already existing, and you can tap into it fairly immediately. The other side of it is, and it's kind of the the unsaid component to that, is that you are truly in a war for talent. The young, uh, intellectual, capable uh, workers that you're going to need to recruit to all these new companies, yeah. they're not coming out of the ether. You need to either recruit them away from other companies that exist, or you need to have them from out of the area and out of the universities as they come through. Well, that means you're probably going to need to be in a place where they're already looking to have the job, given what their specialty is. Yeah. So things like commute patterns become increasingly important, and therefore the clustering effect makes a lot more sense from that perspective as well. If you're going to be an executive or a high-level senior scientist or even the frontline you know, scientific worker in some of these companies, you probably have your, either your apartment or house located in a particular area looking to commute a certain amount of time and distance to where you go to work every day the less you can interrupt that process for these people the better off you're probably going to be
0: yeah and then in terms of vacancy or occupancy if you look at it on the on the on the flip side uh, it's one of the lowest in the Bay Area of any sector in commercial real estate correct
1: that's true um, we you know in our in report we just published uh, and I've tried not to refer to it too much because uh, again everybody's numbers can be slightly different in how they calculate it But we put the overall vacancy of all life science buildings in the Bay Area. And we do. We track them literally building by building. Are they life science capable or not? And that is a difference. Um, We put the vacancy at around 4.4%. The thing that's not shown in that particular number is how many of those square feet are actually built and capable of servicing a client's needs right now today. How much of it is wet lab space that's already been built out and usable? And the answer to that is at least half, if not a third to a quarter of that number. So depending on, again, how you look at that 4.4%, it could be under 2% and possibly even under 1% as to how much of the space is truly available to somebody if they were to need it today.
0: Yeah, and, and how big the cluster of that space is, right? Is it one contiguous sort of space, right, where, where you can actually put in some, some serious numbers of people, right, versus this is a collection of sort of small, disparate kind of things around the region, correct? Correct,
1: yeah. exactly. Um, for instance, you know San Francisco, especially in the Mission Bay area, is a is a giant life science cluster. You've got UCSF, you've got Illumina, you've got a bunch of the different kind of major players that are all right there. But the number of square feet that are actually available is none. There's there's no space for you to move into right now if you needed space. So you have to look at these other markets. And yes, San Jose potentially has more square footage available to it. But again, it's a different, it's a slightly different cluster, it's a slightly different model, and a bunch of those spaces haven't been fully built out yet. So how does that change your metric? Is it better to not have the space at all? Or is it better to have to wait a year to two years to build it out? Or can is, you know, is there some other obviously hybrid in between where it's available, we're willing to work on it, uh, I can move in tomorrow, it happens to be in San Carlos, it happens to be in Fremont, it happens to be in San Leandro or Emeryville or one of these other kind of slightly not the locations we just spoken about. Um, that's the kind of mental math, again, that that some of these facilities people are having to make because it's so hard to find the spaces that they need. So much so that it's one of the reasons why we're seeing these major developments, You know, San Carlos being noted, I, I already mentioned Kilroy's phase one, but um, all, and kind of all over the Bay Area. A lot of these projects are coming out of the ground. They're not even starting construction until the lease is complete. And these leases aren't just 10-year leases. Often they're now extending to 12- and 15-year leases yeah,
0: on those major projects. Interesting, which is, which is, I think, sort of contrary to how... The other now, the other tech, the retail tech, as we as we've termed it in this call, right? How <laughs> how that's heading because that seems to be heading, I think, in the opposite direction in terms of the length of the lease, right? And what uh, commercial real estate folks are comfortable doing. Um, let's let's stick with the with the with with, uh, with the construction and and uh, also 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 development. Um, what are some of the big projects that are in the pipeline that you're excited about? You know, across the region.
1: Well, um, there's a couple different projects that are going on. Most of them are kind of in that San Mateo County uh, Peninsula area. Um, There's, I think it's just over 2 million square feet of projects that are kind of under construction now. Uh, Gateway of the Pacific, one of them, the shore, uh, and uh, the Alexandria District for Science and Technology. Um, All all those are kind of big chunks of space that are coming online um, and are currently under construction. Um, And again, I mentioned even the road. If you go down Industrial Road there in San Carlos, you'll see there's a ton of new development um, and big new buildings that are going up all, all along that, that zone. Um, so th- those are some of the bigger projects. That's going to be the major additions in terms of square footage to our marketplace, at least over the next number of quarters.
0: Yep, yep. Uh,
1: from there, we're, we're certainly seeing investors look at uh, other spillover markets. Um, I, I know I've mentioned Fremont probably three times in this call already, but I, I honestly see that as a burgeoning and upcoming market, if nothing else, because those buildings generally are Concrete tilt-ups with heavy power, high ceilings, uh, and some of the other, uh, you know, sub-infrastructure things in place that will make a life science usage a lot easier to do. Yep. We're watching down further down the peninsula, and I'm thinking certain buildings in kind of the Menlo Park, Palo Alto area, uh, in, in the immediate areas, where landlords are interested in the use. They have a building that's maybe it's got some vacancy issues now, given you know all the things in the way that the market has changed from a tech tenant side of things, or even a, um, let's call it a professional services tenants that used to be in that area, and they're wondering if life science is capable. The problem is because those buildings weren't developed with those underlying building infrastructure issues thought through at the front end, it's very difficult to add them to the buildings post-fact. Yeah, yeah, It can be wildly expensive. It can be almost impossible to do. And they're okay with the use, and maybe even the zoning and use codes with the municipality are would be a green light. But to add things to that facility that would be, you know, the biggest one being, say, air handling or waste stream management or water power, uh, roof strength, uh, things like that, they're much harder to put into a building. After it's already been constructed, designed, and and put together, and often had a tendency for many many years previous.
0: Sure, sure. Are you uh, you haven't mentioned San Jose and Santa Clara? Is there is there any activity in in those two regions about with uh, respect to new developments or some things you know bubbling up that could be interesting in the future?
1: Well, it's funny you ask. We've seen some of the most interesting. Kind of market movements happen in San San Jose, uh, in in that region of the Bay Area over the last quarter. But the number of square feet that are coming online in that market hasn't been as high as other places along the peninsula. Yeah, Some of it's just a function of return. Um, if you're a landlord, you're not going to invest these massive amounts of money at the front end. If you're not sure that the rents can support making at least sure. some margin on the back end, uh, San Jose is still trying to figure out exactly how it wants to grow up on that front. Um, but uh, DRA and local capital just sold a two building portfolio of life science buildings on optical court. And that was actually in South San Jose. Uh, and they just had a tremendous number of interest and a tremendous, uh, number of groups get through and interested in those particular buildings because they're life science specific. And what it's doing is proving the test case that life science doesn't have to be relegated exclusively to the incredibly high end expensive markets that we've seen and already talked about today. But also that you can do it in some of these slightly more secondary-ish markets in the Bay Area, um, and still get away with having not just good returns, but also um, clients and tenants that are long-term and successful. Yep,
0: yep, makes sense. Um, what were some of the recent uh, or year to day transactions and transactions and leases that uh, are kind of in, indicative of what's happening in the in the market?
1: Again, it depends on exactly how far back you want to go. If you're just talking Q3 numbers. You're
0: sort of, you know, second half of the year, maybe sort of post-COVID, if you will. Well, you're you're
1: looking certainly over the last quarter, Sutro Biopharma at 111 Oyster Point Boulevard. They just took down, I think it's close to 120,000 square feet there in South San Francisco. Um, Epic Bio did a 15,000, 16,000 foot lease at 7,000 Shoreline Court, also in South San Francisco but, uh, and by the way, um I might mispronounce some of the names of these companies <laughs> <I understand. laughs> as as I might with any tech company, yeah, but yeah. uh epitomics uh on Auburn Court there in Fremont, sixteen thousand square feet there as well, um another nice big chunk, Ambrus uh, at Gateway Boulevard in South San Francisco, fifty thousand square feet. you know these are deals that have just been done over the last three months. If you're willing to roll back the clock, say, even the last twelve months, obviously the list of of groups goes. Far deeper and grander than that,
0: and then, in terms of venture capital, you mentioned this earlier in our in our conversation, but there seems to be a continued flow of funding into these ventures, correct um, how does this compare to let's say you know twenty nineteen twenty eighteen and then what about the um i p o numbers what is what is the prospect of that capital exiting if you will on the on the other end
1: as mentioned, you know this year twenty twenty and again it was just the first half of this year set records in terms of the amount of certainly venture capital that's been deployed and invested in these companies. And then last quarter was bigger than any other quarter. Wow! So overall, we're seeing more money pour into the sector from the venture side than from anywhere in history. That's, you know, from my perspective, a great thing. I think it's also a great perspective for, again, people who are looking from an investment uh, just in the financial markets in general. Life science has proven that it's resilient and anti-cyclical compared to some of these other uh, things the barrier area has always touted as being its strong points um, but that does bring up a kind of an interesting dynamic of what's more likely in the life science world we haven't seen a tremendous amount of ipo activity if nothing else because a there just aren't the number of companies that grab the headlines in, in the same way but also there's kind of a, a secondary effect b where once some of these companies get big enough, they're much more likely to be acquisition targets for some of the really well-established and larger companies that exist out there today. And in part because, if nothing else, the IP portfolios of some of the major companies now need some refresh, need some additional R&D. And it's doing a lot that mirrors what, um, pick your tech companies, but uh, Microsoft and what Google and what Apple have done over the last number of years, which is they find really interesting single uh, idea companies that have an interesting IP potential and a potentially exploitable market, and saying, you know, instead of you IPOing yourself and taking it all the way through, which is a huge heavy lift, and especially for a life science company, you get acquired by one of those companies, or certainly license the technology to them for if it's manufacture, distribution, and all these other things. Um, and that way, you have these major companies that are truly kind of outsourcing to an effect what their R and D department looks like going forward, um, and that's going to be interesting. Now, the companies that are being funded over the last twelve eighteen months, the potential for them to iPO is still obviously years away and it will be interesting to see how that curve changes over the next number of years uh, as compared to where it kind of has been
0: yeah and and the iPO exit is just one avenue for for this venture money to get its return, like like you said, the acquisition might be even better and and I think you know in a lot of cases, some of these bigger firms and you know, it's easier for them to acquire a company than to sort of start their own research and to compete with something that's already out there right so you kind of look for the ones that are going to be you know uh part of your portfolio business if you will right and that's kind of right. how 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 that goes so as we close here um uh peter if you could, you know, give anybody sort of a you know perspective on you know the rest of twenty twenty, which is, you know, just two months left, I suppose, or a month and a half left. <laughs> maybe maybe not necessarily twenty twenty, because I don't think much is going to change or we hope it won't, but kind of twenty twenty one and you know beyond, what 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 do you see um, you know, are going to be some of the you know big markers for the industry in the in the Bay Area?
1: Uh I think well, the the most obvious answer to that question is the big markers is we're gonna start to see some of the therapies for COVID. Uh, 19 come into fruition we've had a lot of incredibly smart incredibly dedicated people and a lot of r&d departments in some of the biggest names in the industry dedicated to that process finding a vaccine finding some sort of therapies that can help combat that and therefore kind of reopen the economy to a much larger extent than we are now um there's some really promising news even as recently as this morning about yeah. uh, a pfizer vaccine that says um capable as 90 percent success rate that's just earth-shattering, game-changing success in the world of you know pharmaceutical and those kind of fronts. Not to mention, they're one of many, many companies that are working on that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so if we're if we've done our job correctly in the scientific community of streamlining some of the if it's the FDA approvals, if it's the trials, if it's the funding, if it's the education, if it's the distribution, if it's the manufacturing, those are going to be major touch points and major kind of um, milestones going through into the next year. Um, But that doesn't even start to address, you know, some of the other things that are going to be happening, certainly from a real estate front more specifically going into next year. And one of the things uh, I've called out previously, but it's worth noting, is that with all this interest and uh, not just interest, but also the deployment of some of these funds come opportunists. Um, And that's not a I don't mean that in a pejorative sense that they're opportunists in a bad way. Sure. But you're having developers and you're having landlords want to get into the life science game, wanting to provide the facilities for these companies that are coming out of the woodwork that are just being funded and are going to need facilities to work out of. The problem is that they don't have the experience or they don't have the team on board, you know, architecturally um, construction wise brokery wise rise. And that's a plug for myself there. Um, they're going to have a hard time servicing those clients because again, it's such a mm-hmm. different functional facility than I think what a lot of them are used to building if they're if they're generally used to building either office or industrial product and to that end we may actually start to see the numbers of available spaces and the number of available square feet creep up but not all square feet will be created the same and so it's going to be even more important than it has been that you have a broker you have a contractor you have an architect you have these professionals on board as part of your team to kind of vet these buildings and vet these spaces for your use and making sure that they're going to be capable going forward and especially now and i keep adding layers on this but especially when you're going to be spending as much money as you are because the rents for life science property is generally higher than office is certainly higher than industrial but the terms are also longer as we talked about you're not going to be able to negotiate generally a two to three year term for a a nice space that's new and constructed for wet lab space it's going to be more on the order of seven ten even twelve years and that means if you have an inferior space at the front end, you really could be in trouble halfway through your lease if it's not a functional space for you going forward and accommodating your growth and use as you need.
0: Peter, this has been super insightful. I appreciate you taking the time for us. Thank you for everything. And yeah, I look forward to catching up with you in the future about what's going on with the industry. Stay safe. Oh,
1: absolutely. Thanks so much for your time. And obviously, if you have any more questions or you want to do this again, just let me know. I
0: appreciate it. Thanks.